Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And I'm Bobby Howe. Bobby, how are you? How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You know, okay, we're in the middle uh, right now of uh, NAR, uh, uh, what do you call it? What, convention what conference convention this is convention it is, this is I, annual I it's called nar this. annual yeah, okay nar annual yeah it you know what and maybe i've said this already i am burned out on virtual anything like this is okay this is this is okay this i i'd, I'd rather be in person but this is okay but the virtual conventions they're killing me they're killing me <laughs> oh my me. god Right. And here's the thing. I thought I was prepared going into NAR annual because some of these conventions have been so long like NARs and no, it doesn't, you don't get used to it. It doesn't get better. No. Um, I went until eight o'clock last night and tonight goes until eight o'clock again. No. Man, I just, I can't. Yeah, it well for me, I feel like uh and this is this is uh, somebody's going to hear this and I, that's okay. I feel like a lot of the content I could watch on my own time in a YouTube video or better yet, I could read it. And I could read it a lot faster than than the the content goes virtually. So anyway, I we need to get back in person on this stuff. Partially so that we can, you know, drink well, together. Not till it's safe, because we don't want the optics and all of that stuff of like, oh, the wrestlers have got to get themselves together because they absolutely they got to drink. But these these three week virtual conferences, you know, at least let's let's make this thing like four days. Exactly. I know everybody's doing everything they can to make these things uh, impactful and and worthwhile, yeah. but I don't think that that's gonna. That this is one of those things where the virtual thing will never replace the the real conference. So in case anybody out there was really wondering how Bobby and I really feel about virtual conferences, you now know. You you know how we feel. Guess what's coming up? Turkey Turkey Day. Turkey. Hey. Yeah, you guys uh, what are what are you doing this year for Thanksgiving? What's the what is the oh. how residence? Uh, what, what are your plans? So first, I'm going to talk about decorations, because oh. that's a very important part of Are you one of these people that, like, way jumped ahead on Christmas decorations? Well, that's why I want to talk about it. So oh, okay. if you are outside of my home, driving past, you will see my two inflatable turkeys and my inflatable baby Yoda holding a pumpkin, because that was Halloween, but because he's holding a pumpkin, it's still fall, okay? Sure, so okay. The outside of my house, we got the two inflatable turkeys, we got baby Yoda and a pumpkin, we're great. You <laughs> step in my front door, and that's where the Christmas world just begins. And, and here's my theory, okay? Because I am a staunch wait until Friday, uh, Black Friday to do it. I don't shop on Black Friday, I decorate the poo out of my house on Black Friday. But my theory was for this year is Christmas lights bring me joy. Interior Christmas lights just, I, I love having all the actual lights off and just having Christmas lights glow. They make my heart happy. And I don't turn them off the entire time. Like they're on all day long. And I thought if I'm going to be basically trapped in my house for the next two months and it's acceptable to somewhat put up a Christmas tree, I'm doing it. And so we did it. And we, so last year we bought a twinkly tree. 
And I don't remember if we ever talked about the twinkly tree or not, but the twinkly tree is a tree you run through an app on your phone and oh, there, yeah. there's like over 150 different light designs and you can set it to music. So the lights will flash in sync with music if you're playing it. We bought a second twinkly tree this year. So now I got two twinkly trees. They're both wow. up. I've got one doing a, it's a, it's called rainbow. So it's constantly doing rainbow. And then I got another one that's in tra more traditional Christmas colors and they make me very happy. So that's good. That's the important thing. Yes. But as far as Thanksgiving, we're doing the same thing we always do, which is just going up to my in-laws. There are part of our bubble that we see them at least once a week. And then my brother-in-law and his family may show up. My husband and my brother, his brother work together. So they're a part of our bubble. So for us, Thanksgiving plans don't change because we don't have a large family get together that we're a part of. What do, you, what do your plans look like? So for us, uh, it looks a little bit different this year. Usually we have kind of our whole extended family come into town. Um, my parents always host and they even host my in-laws. So my, my in-laws come to my parents usually. This year, we're just going to do my uh, immediate family and my in-laws. So it'll just be, which that's going to be, that's, you know, it's one thing to have your in-laws at Thanksgiving. It's another thing when like, like that, the conversations have to occur between the in-laws. You don't have aunts yeah. and uncles to, to kind of- buffer. To, to, but there's no buffer. So Sarah and I are going to be sitting there feeling weird probably. But that's that's how that goes. But anyway, I, I think we've got a we've got a plan in place, and um, and my parents just moved. My parents just bought a new house. Um, Did they have a good realtor? Actually, yes. Uh, so they uh, they not I, use you. It was my dad. My dad. Oh. My dad used his license, and and I helped them out. Uh, so, uh, did we know your dad was licensed? Have we talked about this before? Yeah, my dad, my dad got his license uh, a couple of years after I did. When he retired from the school district, he oh. got his license. Yep. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. So you actually started it. You're not really second generation. He's actually the second generation That's realtor. Correct. That's correct. I love that. Yeah. And actually my, my grandpa, his dad was a, was a licensee. Um, but I'm, you know, maybe we've talked about this before. I don't, I don't know if I have three generations of realtors or not, because I know he was a licensee. I've been able to see that on KREC. I have no idea if he was a realtor or not. I, I, Is there a way a licensee. Can, I'm going to count it third generation. We're going to count it. It's official. Well, we can count it, but I think, I wish I'd, I like knew for sure. Could, like was he- contact an AR. They could tell you. They could look it up in the records. That'd be good. I want to know. Hey, one thing. Here we go. Here we go. And this is this is a totally aside, and the audience can't see it. No, but I got this tree. I see it. Is it a ficus? No, it's a. It's literally a money tree. Oh, can you take the leaves off and use them for spine? Currency? Thing? Yeah, sure. Okay. I think so. I think so. But to me, it looks like a pot plant. So, uh, oh. but I have. I now have these plants in my office, and I have to take care of them. Um, and that they're like my, they're my pets. Huh. So here's one of the things that I've learned during this whole coronavirus thing. And, and there are all of these studies out right now about taking care of plants hmm. and how much that actually impacts in a, in a positive way. There's, there's some kind of like endorphins that watering plants releases. Um, like so uh, anyway, I've, I've taken that to heart. I used to not really be into having mm -hmm. to keep things alive.
Right. Um, and so maybe having a child that I had to keep alive made me think that maybe I could take care of a plant. So, hmm. you know, I, I watered my cactus named Jimmy G earlier today. And that, that brought me some, you know, named after Jim Gamble. My child named my cactus Aww. after Jim Gamble. It was right after his uh, motorcycle accident and we got a cactus. And Alex goes, I want to name the cactus Jimmy G. Oh, gosh. And I, I was like, that. so every time it pricks me, whenever I'm trying to touch it or move it, and I'm like, damn it, Jimmy G. And, it's, and then it makes me think of Jim Gamble. And then I laugh. <laughs> it works. Uh, I will not say anything. I know. You're thinking that. it. I'm thinking it, too, because we've said it before. It's fine. No worries. Okay, so I have a question for you. The other night, I texted you about watching something on Tubi. Did oh, you have yeah. an opportunity to watch it? No. Okay, so I think I'll mention it here. And then maybe we can talk about it by our next episode. And maybe okay. some of our listeners can watch it. And then we can all have a conversation about it together. Sweet. Okay. So there's an app out there like Netflix called Tubi. T-U-B-I. And it's the only place you can find this documentary. It used to be on Netflix and then it went away. And now it's on Tubi. Tubi is free. But there you will have a few ads throughout the show. You'll be fine. But it's a um, documentary called Big Sonia. And Sonia is S-O-N-I-A. And it's about one of the oldest living Holocaust survivors. And she lives right here in Kansas City. And she was a tailor for over 35 years at Metcalf South until they totally shut down. Um, I won't spoil her or anything else. But it's a really cool story about a really cool lady in our Kansas City community. And we will have a conversation about it on the next podcast. That's awesome. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how I know a little bit about her story. It ha I, I know it was featured on, on something I've watched yeah. in the recent future. Um, I just, or in the recent past rather. I have no idea what it was though. So do you wanna know how we stumbled across it? How? So we got down this rabbit hole of documentaries on dead malls, like malls that are dying. So we've been, there was this one called Jasper Mall and it's about this mall in Jasper, Alabama. It's real okay. So that one is on Netflix. You should watch that one also. It's really just, it's entertaining. That's all I'll say with that one. And so then we there's this um, YouTube series called the Dead Mall series. And so we watched a couple of episodes of that. And my husband was having a conversation with his brother, and he's like, "Oh, speaking of dead malls, there's this one about Metcalf South, but really it's about Sonia herself." And so that's how we ran across it, anyways. Um, but it does feature Metcalf South dying a little bit during, you know, the time that this was shot. So it's kind of interesting wow. to seeing even that. So there's some Kansas City history built within it. But awesome. Well, yeah. I will check it out, and hopefully our listeners do too. And we can we can have almost like a book club type of a thing, except it's like stream club. All right. Well, uh, hey, what are we talking about today? Today we are bringing in fellow friend, I will say friend first, and fellow realtor, John Ketchum. He's what a guy. guy. He's a owner and founder of Remax Infinity here in Kansas City. Local and rock star. And a rock star. Yeah, I didn't even add that. Yeah. Like literal rock star. Like he's a really good musician. He like wears uh, t-shirts under his blazers and everything. Yeah. I mean, he is. Yeah. I mean, just, just hip. So what's John going to talk to us about? Uh, well, it's kind of an interesting topic. It is. I love it. Personal branding. And what else? It's what talking business. about personal branding and balancing your personal branding with your brokerage branding because a lot of people oh, don't right. understand That's, the yeah, difference yeah. between the two. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So. So what's your book bit though? Weren't you going to talk about your book bit? Are you going to sing my song? Oh, do 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 Bobby's book bit. <laughs> 
Casey. <laughs> I do have a sidebar because I like to sidebar. It's fine. So yesterday we recorded a special segment for the KCRER holiday party and installation at the Hey Hey Club in the basement of Bay Rieger and Company. Hey, and it was, hey. hey, it was so much fun. The, the uh, bartender, the guy making, mixing the drinks that are a part of this, uh, he was trying to remember our, you know, Kansas City Regional Association of Realtors was a really long thing for him to say. So then we were trying to give him the acronym. And I was just, just remember it. At Casey, rare. And he said, I don't, he did not get my humor, Alex. He did not understand me. <laughs> did he not laugh? All. No, not really. I also asked do? for a chocolate martini and he said, we're not at Applebee's. And I was like, oh. I, people like that scare me. Cause you know, it, if you don't, if you're not un so uncomfortable that you feel forced into laughter after something like that, I don't trust you. I mean, <laughs> I did love Andrew. Here's the thing. We, we became bonded after the Applebee's slam at me. We became bonded and now he's my friend. And he's also going to do our, uh, our board of directors one that we're having, the virtual happy hour for board of directors. Andrew's going to be there as well. So All right. um, you'll get to meet Andrew. Don't worry. All right. So oh my book boy. bit. My book bit, and this is actually a book I have owned for like 10 or 15 years and never had an opportunity to read. And so whenever I discovered what our topic was, I went and read it really, really quick. So you're welcome. It's Purple Cow by Seth Godin. And whoa, whoa I know. And I've had this forever and I just never had a, I've got a stack of books I need to read. It's fine. So Purple Cow talks about building a great product and advertising the heck out of it just doesn't cut it anymore and how you have to build something that's so remarkable so that people will share it in order to succeed in today's crowdsourcing. So it's a lot about talking about branding. And my quote from the book was, in a crowded marketplace, fitting in is a failure. In a busy marketplace, not standing out is the same as being invisible. Mm. And mm. our, we are in a busy marketplace as realtors right now. And if you don't stand out, no one's even going to know that you're there. So fully saturated, were, way oversaturated, fully, yep. fully. We keep seeing the numbers and we're like, yes, we have a lot more realtors as an association, but as individual realtors, you're like, wow, we have so many realtors. Anyway, there are three life lessons out of this book. And the first one was that we live in an era of advertising where marketing is mainly done through word of mouth. And it, it talks about, it gets back into um, before advertising, back in ancient times, the way people sold things was through word of mouth because that was the only way, you know, somebody went and got a good fish at the market. They went home and told all their friends and their friends went to that same market to buy some more fish. Literally, it talks about this in the book. Don't laugh at me, Alex. It's fine. So, <laughs> said, what? <laughs> but then whenever advertising really started kicking off in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries, advertising worked like magic. And the only limit was how much you could sell through um, billboards and advertising and TV and radio and newspapers. That was the way to sell things. But we are now in the era after advertising and consumers completely ignore ads now. And we are completely blind to banner ads online. You know, we have the ability just to skip commercials all the time. We don't have newspapers coming to our house every day and we can be blind to buy ads on anything and we just don't even see them. We go for the information that we want. The second lesson in the book is that not taking risks is riskier than taking risks. And so many people never take any risk because they're afraid of failing, but they'll never get anything unless you actually do take the risk. Um, that's really all you need to know from that point. And then the third one was, 
If you want your product to successfully reach the masses, focus on your early adopters first. And for us as realtors, focus on those first few clients that you really get. Because I know for me in my career, I mean, we've been doing this for 32 years. I'm actually selling a property. We closed next Tuesday with some people that was one of the very first clients my mom had had. And they have been one of the biggest sources of business we've ever had over the years. They've been one of our biggest cheerleaders because they were there at the very beginning and saw how hard we worked our butts off. And then through the years, they've continued to send us more business. And so focus on those early consumers you have, and they will be your cheerleaders for you for the rest of your life. And that is the book Purple Cow by Seth Godin. That sounds like a great book. Well, do you know who discovered Seth Godin? No. Well, not really discovered him, but kind of put him to, to Gary Vaynerchuk is how he kind of got his. He kind of, Gary kind of discovered him and then that's how he kind of got his stuff. Seth doesn't cuss like Gary though, so it's fine. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to bring in our guest. I, you know, I think it is too. Uh, All right. Let's go get John and we'll be back with him. John. John. Come on. Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City has been a partner of KCRARs for years. You've probably heard about the work they're doing to help provide strength, stability, self-reliance, and shelter for the community. But did you know they also run a secondhand store that benefits their organization? The Habitat for Humanity resource sells household items from furniture to appliances to building materials like cabinets, doors, windows, and more. All the proceeds from Restore Sales support Habitat for Humanity's mission to make sure everyone in the world has a decent place to live. There are three main ways you can support Restore and Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City. Donating, volunteering, and shopping. If you have a client who's remodeling or fixing up their home to sell, suggest they donate any unneeded items to Restore so they can be used to raise money for Habitat. Or, if they're looking for second-hand items, Shopping at the ReStore not only supports our community, but also supports building affordable housing around the world. So if you want to learn more about how to donate and volunteer or where you can shop, you can visit habitat.org slash ReStores, R-E-S-T-O-R-E-S. All right, welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk brought to you by KCRER. We are here with our guest, Mr. John Ketchum. We've already described you as a rock star, a friend, and a fellow KCRER realtor. So welcome to the show, John. Yeah, what more is there to say? I know. Fashionista? Nothing. We're done. We're done. Okay. Podcast over. That was fun. That was fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. If people have not met you, and everyone should have met you by now, tell us about you. How'd you get into real estate? Tell us about your music career. Tell us about all the things that are important to you. All right, let's see, 30 seconds. Um, oh, no, we have 30 I, minutes, go. Oh, okay, well, just all about me, right? Um, uh-huh. Well, I tell you, I was, uh, I was I was a rock star wannabe, left K-State University, graduated with a degree in philosophy and a minor in Spanish and another minor that you can try to guess later. And I went out to LA to try and uh, play music and do some fun stuff out there. I did have a lot of fun. I did... Um, much more TV stuff than I did uh, music stuff out there, but um, got married out there and got uh, pregnant out there and that changed life. Said, hey, let's get back to the Midwest where I knew you know, uh, the cost of living was a little bit more reasonable. We were closer to family and um, 
I am not exaggerating. I started looking for jobs in Los Angeles that were also companies that were also had locations in the Midwest. And so one of those was Bank of America. And in my interview, uh, I had been doing some sales management out there actually while I whilst being a rock star. And I, in my interview, um, I said, Hey, you know, what's the likelihood in six months I can transfer to, Oh, I don't know, Denver, Kansas city, something like that. And they, they, it was a smart HR person because they didn't actually just rule that out. Like, you know, fire me on the spot before I was hired. They were like, you know, if you're good, um, yeah, I mean, we would love to, and I know this now as being an owner, it's a lot easier to retain good employees versus, you know, fire and then hire and onboard somebody new. And so they, they said, if you're good, uh, we would love to be able to, you know, help you make a transition. And so that's exactly what I did. I got a job, um, with bank of America as a personal banker. And six months later I was doing that same job in Kansas city. Um, and Lenexa to be specific, uh, that parlayed into pretty quickly being a bank manager as a bank manager, a home loans manager with bank of America home loans, uh, formerly countrywide would come in and talk to me regularly over coffee. And we, we became friends and she was like, you know, John, I think you have the skill set to be, you know, more of an entrepreneur and do this on your own, um, originate loans. And we got to the point of being candid enough. She was like, how much do you make? I told her, she's like, Oh my gosh, every one of my loan officers makes more than that. And they're not tied to, you know, crying and, and upset customers. Cause this was the financial crisis when I was a bank manager. Um, so I, in 2009, I made that switch over um, and it was a little harrowing the first year, but within the second year, I was making more money than I had as a bank manager, um, originating loans and um, really was kind of building that business. And, and then in 2013, got a call from Greg Franklin, who owns Remax State Line and said, hey, I'm looking for a succession plan. Uh, you've called on me as a loan officer. Um, you know, what do you think? And it took me about three months. That's the best time to get a job offer, by the way, right? Is when you're not, when you are happy mm -hmm. <laughs> because then when you make that move, you're doing it because of the right reasons versus desperation or something. And so, uh, so that, that was actually, um, it took me about three months to make that decision to go in and manage, um, his Remax office and grow it. And, um, uh, you know, do a couple road bumps, but um, basically, I, it culminated with me opening with a couple partners, Remax Infinity, which is where where I you know own and and operate now. Uh, in 2016, very end of 2016, very end of 2017, I bought my partners out. Uh, I was fledgling, and since then, uh, we've been in growth mode, and and um, you know, I think I've turned it around. Things are going really well. So that was, that was a little more than 30 seconds, but that was yeah. all of it. That was all of it. That's how I got here. I loved it. I love seeing that history of where you came from and how it all affected all of the things up until today. So we brought you on today to talk about personal branding and how to balance that with your brokerage branding. And some realtors don't understand that there's a difference between the two, but how has your own personal branding evolved during even your time as a loan officer into your time as a um, realtor. That's that thing that you are a realtor. Yeah. So, you know, um, 
I wasn't really into the vehicles like social media when I was a loan officer. I was building my my business by referral um, uh, methods and then specifically working. I, I, I kind of left this part out, but one of my roles uh, as a loan officer, I got into a Remax office, actually not Greg Franklin's, uh, but I was a loan officer, you know, basically renting a desk and having that opportunity to talk to agents. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that that was how I did branding. Um, I never really thought, felt the need to brand outside of the bank brand, which was Bank of Kansas City at the time. It was just, hey, I'm John with Bank of Kansas City. Um, so when I got into real estate, um, and then, you know, and, and this is 2013, and social media was becoming much more of a vehicle to sell yourself, um, I started to see that. And I started to see agents really wanting to brand themselves. Um, uh, you know, in addition to, in many cases, as we've probably all seen, in lieu of their brokerage, right? And um, I didn't really understand the conflict in that um, at first. And um, I certainly didn't really understand that there were regulations specifically saying, no, the brokerage, is, I mean, is the whole like, you know, agents are designated agents for the broker. And that's why liability always flows upwards. And that was kind of, uh, lost on me. So I loved seeing, um, you know, some of these brands around town that were the personal brand um, and what they were doing with them because I thought they were more innovative, quite frankly, than some of the, the franchises and the, and the companies out there. Um, but certainly didn't really understand just how conflicting that could be and or, um, you know, the benefits of kind of some brand uniformity. Uh, which I now see much more clearly as an owner. So my personal brand um, hasn't really existed outside of because I was a loan officer first, and then uh, as a as a manager, I was a representative for Remax State Line. Um, and so I never really my personal brand never became important. Um, that said, I very much understood the need to. Um, get my name and face out there, right? In association with, and that's like when I started, my, my job was recruitment and growth and then training. So I started mass emailing with, I've got some funny stories there we can um, get to at another point if you want, but it started mass emailing. I thought, well, they just need to see me. They need to see that way when I call or text, hey, this is John Ketchum with Remax State Line. Um, heard good things, you wanna have a cup of coffee. Um, then there's some familiarity. And that is what branding is, is, is brand impression is familiarity. And that worked, um, even if it was uh, in spite of, of my uh, efforts, you know, um, a, a bad shotgun approach, it did work. Now, sometimes it worked against me. Oh, yeah, I got your email on. <laughs> I guess I am going to get into it. Uh, I, one time, I, I didn't pay attention to a newsletter that I was sending out. And it was curated content through, it was, a, it was called Emerge. And it was like, when I was setting up the account, I was like, what are you interested in? And I was like, oh, I'm interested in that and that and that. Well, you dummy, it, you should have just picked real estate because that's what your blog is supposed to be on. So I picked the things that I was interested in. So some was health and fitness and some was family. And this random freaking, you know, newsletter goes out and it's like about adoption. <laughs> And at no relevance, no relevance to the industry at all. And I remember um, some, you know, some replied comment like, what, you know, and uh, 
yeah, again, so I, I definitely made a name for myself, whether that was a good one or not. People knew me. Um, but uh, no, I, so Bobby, I think, you know, the, the, there's a lot there when we talk about personal branding versus brokerage branding with agents. You know, John, before you came on, Bobby and I were talking just a little bit about the extreme market saturation that we're seeing right now. So um, currently in the MLS, as of right now, we have less than 3,000 active resale listings on the MLS. And how many agents do we have? We got 11,500. Is that about right? 12,000. Yeah, almost 12,000. Almost 12,000 agents. So we are uh, approaching, if not there, uh, to four agents per resale listing on the marketplace. So obviously that market saturation is going to be contributing to some of these uh, personal and team brands and subcultures that are developing underneath the, the national franchises. So as we're seeing those things, how, you know, is that, is that good? Is there a specific balance that these people need to be reaching? And what are the, you know, where's that tipping point? At what point have they gone too far and, and are shooting themselves in the foot? Uh, I love the question. And um, so, you know, you got to attack. And in my mind, I'm attacking in a couple of ways. What's the law, right? And then what should, what in my opinion, should we do? And I think to give perspective to anybody listening that doesn't know this and, and um, because you can't see me, uh, not that that would give it away, but I'm, I'm, You're I'm beautiful. I'm under, <laughs> I'm under 40. Okay. So I'm going to give you history that is, uh, handed down rather than experience, but you know, um, brokerages, um, when the whole broker model started, um, were basically what we see, I think in our offices, um, mega teams, right? Because what you had is one prolific salesperson, who then needed help specifically with listings, um, with, with showing, excuse me. Um, and so broker splits were like 50-50, but this was like all, the, the importance of the broker seemed to be legitimate. Um, it was, you know, how you controlled market share. And then these agents that were brought on were agents for the broker, right? And that's, that has not evolved. <laughs> that has not evolved from a, from a conceptual standpoint. But from a realistic standpoint, the, the role of the broker now versus the role of the broker then, I think, has evolved. And so you've got, um, you know, agents that are just dominating market share and the brokerage um, is the name behind it. And um, agents are able to work anywhere and everywhere. And so I'll say this, the agents want to brand their, themselves um, first and foremost is, in my mind, very justified um, because they are the face and the name and everything. And the brokerage is kind of, you know, um, in, in, in my own personal experience as a broker owner, like I do have those agents where I help train and coach and develop. And I hope that they will continue to come back to me for coaching and training as they want to scale their business. But a lot of them, once they get it, they're, they're gone. And then they want, you know, things like a higher split or get out of my way, right? And that's not all in all cases, but I think that that's fair to say. And I think it's also fair to say 
That's why nationally we've seen a lot of top teams become their own broker. But then they're, they're going to struggle with the same thing. Um, and, and so it's a cyclical thing. So I think the want to make yourself stand out, to your point, Alex, you know, have, um, uh, have something that's differentiating because there is such a market saturating. I think it's absolutely justified. But is it always beneficial? And what I would say, you know, again, repping a national brand, um, an international brand is, well, um, probably uh, locally, it's, it, you can compete and, and you can become, you as the individual agent can become the known brand over the brokerage brand. But um, from a, you know, 50,000 foot view, um, I would think, especially when it comes to yard signs, if yard signs were uniform, that's a better thing because then everybody is feeding this, the, the bigger brand, the brokerage. So from the utility aspect, I actually do believe that the uniformity is a very good thing um, because again, then we get into the digital sphere and then things get a little bit more muddy. I do think, you know, as long as you've got the brokerage name, I do love how agents are like coming up with their own designs and logos and, and their team photos and these beautiful people out there. And, but from a yard sign standpoint, I think that it's actually probably hurting a lot of the agents that are trying to be so creative and then try to brand first. Um, uh, so, so the utility I think is still there to have, like if you've got, you know, 2000 agents with one brokerage that they, that getting that brokerage name out there should be something that would be good for everybody. Um, but I, I, it, it definitely is, um, uh, it's conflicted with the agents want to have their face and name out because, and I agree, they're doing the bulk of the work, right? They're doing the work. And so it's a really interesting phenomenon that's going on. The laws though have not really kept up and evolved along with what actually the practicality is. Couldn't agree with you more. Can you, you, you were going to talk a little bit about what the law states. Uh, and I know that in Kansas, that specifically has changed uh, here recently. Uh, can you talk just a little bit about that and what the requirements really are for uh, personal and team branding alongside uh, brokerage branding? They are really vague, Alex. Um, um, and what, what's, what I think needs to happen is I think there needs to be much more of a specific committee on digital branding versus again, yard signs, right? Um, because I don't think that they're the same thing. I, I think there's so many posts and so many things that could be marketing pieces, right? Um, digitally that um, far exceed like a sign in the yard, right? But basically, um, you know, there are the, the new changes in Kansas um, restrict, and again, even they're kind of vague, uh, but they restrict uh, the use of certain words. But the idea is that you can't be Alex Gehring Realty or Alex Gehring Real Estate with Better Homes and Gardens. You uh, names that would indicate that you are the liability, you are the brokerage, right? Um, uh, those conflict directly. Um, but they don't give a lot of examples of what should and could be used. I mean, we see a lot of group and team. We did have some agents in my office that were branded as real estate, you know, 
with which you can still do real estate is still okay you can still do real estate yeah i I made sure that stayed in there so that we could do it (laughs) i was fired up about that one (laughs) okay well so so glad you glad to have my fact checker right here live (laughs) um but but yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't muddy the water, right? Of of where that liability lies, who do we contact? The, the, I think that's the spirit of it. But the actual, um, like, you know, the the social media stuff um, uh, is relegated to what it says for any time a, a listing is marketed, which is essentially that the broker's name must be conspicuously displayed, right. and that even in and of itself, you know. It is great. Now they uh, put a size requirement on it too, where the brokerage has to be 50% at minimum the size of the team name or individual name. Uh, but even that is incredibly vague. Yeah. I mean, you exactly. can, I mean that, that could be super tiny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, we just went through a, a, um, an audit, if you will, with KREC on this and I, you know, basically one of my agents had a post that was flagged and, um, and you know, it, it made me, it, it put me in check to have a social media policy and things like that within my brokerage. Um, but, uh, but when I asked for guidance, they just referred back to, I mean, the, you know, what is out there, which is again, very vague and very, in other words, there wasn't really great guidance on it. I know our local association has, you know, year, a couple of years ago um, had uh, some slides on that and what they felt like would be in compliance. Um, but this thing evolves like all the time. And, uh, and I think that it's, um, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know that I want to even call it dangerous because I do think that there's enough, you know, at least with most, um, most of the brokerages out there, there's enough access to be able to find, okay, where does this liability lie? If I've got an unethical agent. If I've got a problem, you know, if I Google the name, it's going to be some clicks, but I should be able to find, you know, who they're associated with. That said, I've seen plenty of websites and social posts where you have literally no idea who they are with and, and they look like they're on their own. So absolutely. No. You know, and I think the other confusing thing in all of this, we talked a little bit about the laws is just the difference between Missouri and Kansas. There are huge differences and you know, for as vague as Kansas is, Missouri's even more lenient mm-hmm. and even more vague about, you know, what you can do, how you can name yourself. And so some people that operate in both states, they can call themselves one thing in one state, something else in the other state. And it just, it opens this whole, you know, can of worms of like, what can I really do? And I think that's one of the issues with having a state line association where we serve two different states with two different sets of laws and people that are likely licensed in both states. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, and again, you appeal, you should appeal to the lowest common denominator, but you know, there's something that um, I, I'm very passionate about in general is just, you know, who polices this stuff mm-hmm. and who should police it. And um, that's the other irony to me is that, I mean, there's just so much of it out there that, um, and, and, you know, somebody narked on one of my agents, if you will, for one of these posts. And, and the thing was like, I, they were right. When I looked at it, I was like, crap. Yeah. That, that doesn't, does, it's not very obvious you know, what the association is. And, and I love, you know, I'm proud of my agents, proud of the listings in, in particular. And, 
I want that association. I'm in no way egomaniacal. It's not catch them, you know, real estate. And, and so I'm not as passionate maybe about somebody that, you know, has an independent brokerage where it is really their name. But all that said, you know, it was handed down a warning. And then again, asking for that advice of like, what should we do? Um, there wasn't a lot. And, and so I think again, you know, agents are definitely being reckless about it and they're being reckless because they can and because Mm -hmm. they, um, the policing of it is very limited if, if, if any. Well, and and the, the real rules in air quotes, if you will, is that a a broker is supposed to approve every ad, every post, every, everything that is, unless you have like five agents, that's just not realistic to see every single thing and approve it before it goes out into all of the different places that things can go out now. It's impossible. And, so, and that's just a part of the sign of the times because in the end, what an agent says is reflective of their brokerage, but there is no possible way for a broker to know all of the things that are being said ever. And that's why, you know, like the one that gets narked on, you're just like, you know, then you have a conversation, but there's no way for you to have known ahead of time that was going to happen. And I'm sure your person didn't have bad intentions. That's the other sure. thing is that, so many times it's not bad intentions. It's just not even thinking or it's just being unaware. Well, so, and in this case, Bobby, it was a listing coming soon. So listing agreement obviously was there. Um, right. Listing coming soon, guess the price. And those get a lot of engagements. And um, so is it really a marketing of a listing? Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's not it's, it's not yet available to show. So I suppose you could say, yes, it is a marketing of a listing, but it was there wasn't even an address on it. It was like, Hey, I've got this property coming soon. Here's one photo. Guess what the price would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I that think that surprises oh, me that they flag that. Well, but in this kind of market, you have, you have realtors who are not doing a lot of business because there's not enough inventory. And so all they do is just sit on Facebook and they just want to completely complain about everyone else instead about focusing on themselves. Sorry, that's a rant. And I, it no, that's not, yeah. Yeah. so it's much, not. so so many more egregious things than that yeah. that that go without any anything. And so anyway, I'm I'm sorry for the person that that happened to. No, and and again, you know, <laughs> we knew they did it through a, a a VPN, but we knew who it was. And you know, of course, you could retaliate because the reality was, we started looking through posts, and it's like, oh, yep, you did it too. And <laughs> And, um, but we didn't, we didn't retaliate. And I was uh, quite frankly, I was curious about what, what the results would be. But, um, yeah, I I would imagine literally you could keep um, that committee very busy just reporting and then having them review and then send warnings because I don't know that. I mean, sure. If it keeps happening in my office, um, then I'm sure that something will happen. But, you know, I, I, I did jump into action pretty swiftly and, sent out mass communication about this is what's expected if you are posting so forth and so on. But I also kind of waited for that official response before I came up with a little more of an official policy. But again, that's a a policy I created because there really wasn't a lot of guidance on it. And that goes back to, you know, this stuff is evolving and the laws really aren't. And, um, and, and I, I don't, I don't, I mean, again, that's a whole nother conversation on what I think, we should be doing, but I don't blame the agent. I don't blame the agent for wanting that individuality. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, kind of like what you said, 
I'm supposed to approve every post. Well, yeah, right. All right. I mean, the likelihood of that, but I also have to be liable for every post just as I'm liable for my agents, you know, and that I understand um, completely. And you mm-hmm. know, when I get broker calls, Alex, you know, know you get them too, you know, and, and there's, you know, three sides to every story. There's there, that, you know, that side, this side, and then the truth. Right. And, um, I'm not one to just jump in and blindly support my agents. I, I want to get to the bottom of it. I want to say, Hey, here's what happened. What's your response? You know, what happened on your end? But, um, yeah. So I think if we take on that, um, assumption that anything that's posted out there is going to basically come back up through us anyway, mm-hmm. well, you know, either have the, either have specific guidelines on how every, you know, general posts should be tagged or let it be a little more wild, wild west. I'm going to take what you're saying right now for, for the audience. I think what you're saying is to check with your broker about a social media policy um, and a personal branding policy first and foremost. What other things uh, for somebody that has absolutely, you know, they haven't really worked on a personal brand or a team brand what are the things should people be thinking about if that's a uh, something that they want to get into? What are what are kind of the starting points aside from discussing with your broker and checking on their policy? I, I love a good marriage of the brokerage brand with a with a personal brand, and so um, if I'm helping somebody try to create that, if I'm a stylist, if you will. Um, then I, I, I think that you should be considering as that team or that individual, um, your color palette, what's the company's color palette. So if you're going to come up with, you know, some unique branding, um, you know, if you're with, if you're with Remax, we're red, white, and blue. So if you're coming up with, you know, um, designs that are, uh, I also thought of purple. Say what? He said purple, and that was the color I was thinking. Like Alex was reading my brain. It's fine. You yeah. talk. We're just going to be on our own world because that's a swirl of red and red and blue, right? Um, no, I mean, and actually, you know, with 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 Remax, for instance, they've got a specific color palette that you should and could and 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 need to use, and it gets bastardized, of course, as well. Um, but I, certainly, like coming up with um, your schemes that are um, that are along the same color palette something that gives off the, again, the understanding that I'm in, in partnership with, I'm in association with, because that is how the law reads. I'm I'm an agent for the brokerage. Um, So, you know, if there's a, if there's a um, company mascot logo, whatever you want to call it, um, trying to marry to that a little bit, I think those do really well. Um, uh, High resolution, um, uh, gray back, you know, the, the transparent background images are great because then they can do overlays of, of photos. Um, and, um, and then again, I do like individual logo design, um, again, along as long as it meets compliance, but, um, I've had a lot of success on, uh, reviewing through Fiverr. Um, a lot of you guys probably talk about that company multiple times, but it's outsourced stuff. Um, but you can go through kind of like an Amazon review cart and you, you can look and see, okay, here's other logos that this designer has created. And this kind of speaks to who I am. So 
certainly uh, encouraging that individuality. If I'm if I'm an agent who loves uh, modern homes, modern construction, contemporary stuff, you know, having a design that kind of gives off that feel, I think it, it would be right in order, you know. Uh, and then if I'm uh, a team, oh gosh, I could talk forever about teams. Um, so you that's know, a can of worms in and of itself. I know. Yeah. So I, I just say in general, like if I'm going to be Ketchum and Associates with Remax Infinity. Um, understand that I may have a rock star agent under within my within my team who doesn't want to brand as Ketchum, right? Um, and so you've either got to embrace that and say, okay, I'm going to train and develop them, and uh, we're going to be part of a team, and and until they decide that they um, this doesn't work for them anymore, and then I'll bring in the next person and have systems to train and develop that person, and have a little bit of that revolving door. Or maybe I want to go with a name that is a little less specific to me and more of a feel and have that be the team name. So that way everybody that's a part of it might feel a little more included. Um, so those are, those are considerations I would bring in as well. That kind of answer. Good stuff, John. I, this has been really good. And I think that, I, I mean, obviously I, I think with how saturated the marketplace is, this is timely. I think a lot of people have already started diving into this without giving it a whole lot of thought, mm -hmm. uh, just like you alluded to. So, so hopefully uh, we gave some people some, some things to consider today um, and we appreciate you being on with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, John. We appreciate you. You didn't, you didn't lie to the audience. We are friends and I wanted to mm -hmm. restate that. Thank you guys for having, thanks for thinking of me. I really am honored to, to be selected to be a part of your podcast and uh, love listening to you guys.